0: Well, good morning. I'm glad to see you here today. Glad that you have joined us for a little bit of worship this morning and uh, learning a little bit about God, singing some praises and praying to God. Um, We hope this is an uplift and a benefit to you. If you're a visitor here today, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here and a part of our worship today. I want to talk to you a little bit about a prophet. We're in the middle of a series on the Minor Prophets. And has been mentioned over and over, they're not minor because they're less important, but they're minor because their books are shorter, and they were all grouped together when the Bible was put together. We're going to be talking about Amos today, and I don't know if you've ever read the book of Amos. If you have, I don't know if you're real familiar with it, and it would just come to you, oh, Amos is about this. But Amos has some interesting things to say. I want to give you a little background though. And to do this, I want to go back some 700 years or so before Amos lived and God is speaking through Moses on Mount Sinai. Remember, Israel has come out of Egyptian bondage. They're gathered at the base of this mountain. Moses has received the Ten Commandments from God And we find that he comes down and he talks to the people and he delivers these commandments to them. The Bible says Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. It was at this time that Israel made a formal covenant with God. They accepted his offer to be their, His special people. And they said, we'll do it. <laughs> this is awesome. He brought us out of Egyptian bondage. We're the descendants of Abraham who was a close, close friend of God, the Scripture says. And we are His people, and He is our God. God refers to this in Ezekiel a little bit later. He says, I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. And from these times on, God dealt with Israel different than He dealt with all the other nations. Now, we know that God did deal with other nations. We've had a sermon on Jonah. The sermon on Jonah, God sent a prophet to Nineveh, which was Assyria, a totally different nation than God's people. God did deal with other nations. But we know specially. He dealt with the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. They were a special people. If you remember, God, when He called Abraham, He said, I'm going to make a great nation out of your descendants. They're going to be like the sea or the sand on the seashore. There's just going to be so many of them. He said, I'm going to bless them. I will bless you and I'll bless the world through your descendants. He said, This is going to be a great thing with an ultimate promise of Jesus Christ coming. Well, these people are God's special people. The times have changed. They had a great king, David, who led them in faithfulness and service to God and expanded the borders. They had a greater king in some ways than Solomon, except Solomon was great physically as a national leader, but he was not, not the kind of man that he should have been. And he didn't make Israel strong. He made them very prosperous, but they were not spiritually strong. And then his son Rehoboam came along. And Rehoboam was, he was just not, he was not a shell of the man of his daddy and his granddaddy. The nation divided. The nation, ten of the tribes in the north followed a guy named Jeroboam. And they no longer were the same nation. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom was called Israel. And they were following God off and on and off and on and off and on. But the northern nation most consistently were off rather than on when they were serving God. So God comes to this guy named Amos Amos was from Tekoa, and if you can see on the map here, there's Tekoa. Tekoa was about six miles south of Bethlehem, which was about six miles south of Jerusalem. So he lived in this area here south of... There's Jerusalem, and he lives south of Jerusalem. Now, the border of the nation of Israel and Judah was right there north of Jerusalem. So he lived in the general area of the border... But he was really from the southern kingdom. But God sent him specifically to this northern kingdom. Now, we don't know a lot about this guy. We know it was about 150 years after the nation divided. He was a shepherd and a fig tree farmer. Okay? And that's what he did as a living. He was a common, ordinary guy. He wasn't a professional prophet. He was just a normal fella. And God said, I want you to go north into Israel... And I want you to give them this message from me. Jeroboam II is the king. Now Jeroboam I was the guy everyone followed. This is many years later, and this guy's Jeroboam II. And he was an interesting guy. He was a very capable leader. He was a good military man. They expanded their borders. They retook a lot of land that had been taken from them. And he made the nation prosperous. I mean, the price of gas was low. (laughs) Everything was good in the nation. They They had plenty of disposable income, you know, the kind of income that lets you go to Six Flags if you want to go there on the holidays or lets you buy something extra for the kids. They had disposable, they had a lot of money. And things were good. There was not war, there was not famine, there was not trouble. I mean, it was very similar in a lot of ways to what America's been the last several years. Things were good. People were wealthy. There wasn't a lot of trouble. Now, we see some things changing, I think, in America. But back then, they thought everything was great. He was a tremendous leader. Now, they were surrounded by a bunch of pagan nations around here. We're going to talk about those here in just a moment, but the nations that's that's, uh, going to give them trouble, the nation of the Assyrians and the Babylonians down here, they are weak nations. They're inconsequential right now. There's nothing that they're doing that's affecting the world scene. They're just a couple of other nations a long ways off. So God sends him with a message. Now his message, he starts out, interestingly, he says that God is going to punish the wicked and reward the good. And here's what, the way the, the message starts. He says, The Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Now Carmel was a mountain. So what he says here is God is in Zion. Now Zion was Jerusalem. And he says, God is roaring from Zion. Have you ever heard a lion roar? I mean, a, a big animal really roar. Now We've seen it on TV, right? I had the opportunity one time to be standing near a lion's pen at a zoo when the lion roared. And I want to tell you, it just goes down to the deepest fiber of your being. It's just, it's scary for a lion to roar. And Amos says, you need to listen up. God's in Jerusalem, and He's roaring, and He is not happy. The mountains are going to melt. Even the fields that the shepherds in are going to wither. They're going to mourn. This is not going to be good, what He has to say to Israel. Well, what does He say to Israel? Oddly enough, He says this, and then He immediately starts talking about the other nations, Instead of talking about Israel. He talks about these neighboring nations that were surrounding him. He starts out by talking about Damascus. Now this is Samaria. Um, Not Samaria, Syria. This is Syria, and the nation of Syria. And Damascus is one of their main cities there. And he says this, he says, For three sins, basically, and for four, I'm going to punish Damascus. He says, because they have threshed Gilead with the threshing sledges of iron. Now, we're not going to talk about what all of these things are. It's interesting if you want to take the time to go research and see what they had actually done. But what he says the punishment for them is going to be is this. He says, I'm going to send fire upon the house of Hazael, and break the gate bar of Damascus. Now, the gate bar was their main gate, their main entrance. And what he's saying here is, I'm going to destroy Damascus. I'm going to bring them to the ground. I'm going to set their world on fire because of the wickedness that they've done. Then he moves on to the next kingdom. He says these people down in Gaza, that's the Philistines. He says, because they carried into exile a whole people and delivered them up to Edom. So evidently, they were trafficking in kidnapped humans. Specifically, I think the indication is kidnapped people of God. The children of God who'd been kidnapped. They'd kidnap them and sell them just like was done to Joseph. And he says because of that, I'm going to send fire on the wall of Gaza and cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod and turn my hand against Ekron. Now, Ashdod, Ekron, and Ashdod, uh Gaza were all cities there in this area and he's basically saying I'm going to set their world on fire. It's going to come down. It's going to be over. Then Phoenicia, he moves to Phoenicia. That's right up here. That's where Tyre is and you if you've read the Bible much you're familiar with Tyre. It plays an important part in the Bible. Because they deliver up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. And they had a relationship with Israel and some history with Israel. He said they didn't remember that. And he said, I'm going to send fire upon the wall of Tyre and it shall devour her strongholds. So what he says is, I'm going to set them on fire. I'm going to cause a fire and it's going to destroy them. And then he goes to the next nation, Edom because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So what's he going to do to them? Guess what? Same thing. I will send a fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Bozrah. And he goes to the kingdom of Ammon, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah. And devour her strongholds, and their kings shall go into exile. And then the last kingdom here, the kingdom of Moab. Because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom, I will bring fire upon Moab, and Moab shall die amid uproar, and shouting and sound of the trumpet, I will kill all its princes. So, if you look at this, you've got all these nations that surround Israel and he's not said anything about Israel yet but he starts out and he says i'm going to i'm going to god's going to roar from jerusalem and it's going to come down on israel but he starts by setting fires all the way around israel now you know what happens when you're in the middle of fires that are completely surrounding you they're going to come in on you and what's happening is god here is drawing a circle around Israel of His wrath that He's going to bring to bear. Now, He does talk about Judah next. And He talks about Judah in an odd kind of way. He talks about them like they're just another one of the surrounding nations because this message is to Israel and not to Judah. But the things He says to them are not because you burned somebody's bones or you sold people as slaves or things like that. Notice what He says to Judah. His judgment against Judah because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. So Judah's relationship with God is different than all these surrounding nations. They have the law of God. And he's because you didn't keep it, there's going to be punishment on you. He said, I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. So as you see the imagery here that Amos is drawing, Amos is setting a picture of this nation of Israel and all these wicked people that surround them and God is setting everyone on fire around them and the fires are just moving toward this nation, this nation of Israel. And they feel the heat and the wrath of God bearing down upon them. So God then turns His attention... And his judgment to Israel. And in Amos chapter 2 is where this begins. And it goes throughout the rest of the book of Amos. And there's nine chapters in Amos. So he spends a chapter and a half talking about all these other nations. And then, now that he has laid his target hairs upon Israel, he comes to destroy them and to explain what's about to happen. He says, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Now, I want you who are parents to think about when your children have messed up. And you know, sometimes a child will do something wrong and you get on to them and they do it again, you get on to them, they do it again, you get on to them, they do it again. And And sometimes a parent will go, you know what, you've been doing this all day and I've been getting on to you all day. Yeah, Ryan, you'll say that sometimes. All day it's going to happen, and I'm sick of it, and I'm not going to put up with it anymore. And that's what God's telling him. You've been doing this over and over and over. And he says, now the time is done. The time is over. The time of you being able to get away with all the things you've been doing, there's going to be punishment What is his complaint against Israel? He's got some specific complaints against Israel that we want to notice. Number one, Israel abuses their poor. Can you imagine a world that the wealthy abuse the poor? That's going on right here. He says, they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. He says that they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Can you imagine the value of a human being not being anything more than a pair of sandals? What's it cost you to get a pair of sandals at Walmart? Can you get a pair of sandals for a dollar, two dollars? Maybe a, no, okay, five dollars <laughs> <$5? laughs> at Walmart, ten dollars? Okay, I'm getting some yeses now, okay. A hundred dollars? Could you get a good pair of sandals for a hundred dollars? Do you think a human is worth a hundred dollars? Can you imagine selling someone into slavery for a hundred bucks? That's unimaginable to us. You know, Israel was a very wealthy place. And they took great advantage of the poor people. You know, if you've got wealth, That gives you a tremendous advantage in business dealings. But you can still be fair and honest with people who aren't wealthy. You can still be fair and not take advantage of people just because of their status in the world. You know, most of the world doesn't have a middle class the way America has a middle class. Most of the world has haves and have-nots, the rich and the poor. And the rich take great advantage Of the poor. And you know what God said about this? He said, I'm sick of it. You have no compassion. Notice He said, you turn aside the way of the afflicted. That's when someone's in need. Someone needs some help. He said, you turn them aside. You have no interest in helping those who are afflicted. God has very strong things. And this is just a a sampling. This goes on chapter after chapter after chapter of Him talking about how they treat the poor people. And I want to ask you, are you good and fair to people who don't have what you have? Do you help people who don't have what you have? Do you care for the afflicted? Does that affect you at all in any way? You know, God expects His people to be a people who love the people around them. Another complaint He has against Israel is that Israel's is immoral. They have risen to a level of immorality like what happens here in America or even worse. He says this, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. Now, I believe what he's talking about here is their temple prostitution. In their temples at Dan and Bethel where they had set up these idols, Jeroboam set up these idols, and they had developed a system of temple prostitution. And people would just go to the temple and go to prostitutes there at the temple. God says, I'm sick of it. He said, this is horrible. How could you do something like this? He says, my holy name is profane. You know, it's it's to be expected that people in the world are immoral. It is not to be expected that God's people are immoral. God's people need to be different. It's to be expected that people in the world cheat on their spouses. That's not to be expected for God's people. God's people shouldn't do that. It's to be expected that people of the world will cheat other folks. That people of the world will be involved in all kinds of immorality. But it's not expected of God's people. In fact, God expects the opposite. And God says when His people get involved in that stuff, it brings shame on His name. His name is profaned by other people by the evil that they do. And then He... talks about their corrupted worship. He says that their worship, they worshiped God all the time. These people worship, But these people also worshipped idols and they had mixed their idol worship with their worship of God. They knew about God, but they were confused. Do you remember in the New Testament there was a Samaritan woman that Jesus met at a well one time and she says, I perceive you're a prophet and I've got a question. Are we supposed to worship in Jerusalem or in the mountains? Well, she asked that because she knew some about God and worshiping God, but she didn't know much. and she, she, It was all corrupted in her mind and her life. And these people had corrupted it too. Look at this. God says this, I hate, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps I will not listen. Do you think it's a good thing for there to be more churches? You think that's a good thing for there to be more churches? Only if they're faithfully serving God. God says, Some people were worshiping Him, these people, and He says, I am sickened by your worship. He says, I hate, I despise it. When you have feasts and celebrations and solemn assemblies, can you imagine? God looking down at us and going, oh, you got together on Sunday? I despise that. I despise that you gathered to worship me. Can you imagine? Why would God do that? You know what He says about their songs? He says, take away from me the noise of your song. Did you like our singing this morning? Did you think it was pretty good? Okay. Maybe not the best in the world, but it was pretty good, right? You think God enjoyed that? When God heard their songs, He's going, ah! He didn't want to hear it. Take it away from me. I hate it. Don't you dare sing to me. Why? Because they're corrupt. They weren't doing it for God, they weren't worshiping God. You know what he goes ahead and says to them? He says, while you're doing this and while you're there worshiping me, you're thinking, how long till the Sabbath is over so we can get back to doing business? Have you ever sat in a church service and gone, man, I wish this would hurry up and be over with I got business. I, got it. I need to get to this and I need to get to... Have you ever done that? God said when they were doing that, He despised it. That's not worship. That's not true bringing themselves around God. And he said, you've corrupted it. You've corrupted it so much that I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know anything that has to do with this corrupt worship. Israel was in a bad spot. You know what else he says? He said, you've repeatedly ignored me and my warnings. He said, you know what? I've sent you prophets. I've sent prophet after prophet to you. And you know what you did? Instead of going, we need to think about this. We need to... You know what they did? They killed the prophets. Because they didn't want to hear what they had to say. Kill the guy. I don't want to hear that. Look at this. God says, I sent famine and drought, and disease, and pestilence, and war, and natural disaster against them. And you know what they did every time? They didn't return to God. You know, we tend to be people who are motivated by crisis, don't we? Okay? I know that when all of a sudden something's bad, I'm motivated to do a better job serving God, right? I'm motivated. I begin to pray more, and I begin to... Think about God more. And I began to... Because we're motivated by crisis in our lives. That's the way most people are. But these people, even crisis didn't motivate them. Look at this. And this is a, a list here. We're not going to read all this. He says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me. Now, cleanness of teeth doesn't mean they had good toothbrushes. Cleanness of teeth means they didn't have any food. They didn't have anything to eat. He said, I gave you a famine, and you didn't return to me. He said, I withheld rain from you when there were three months to harvest. I would send rain on one city and no rain on another. One field would have rain, and the, a field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to one another, to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me. He said, you knew this wasn't just an accident because I would pick cities and give them plenty of rain and drought another city. You didn't return to me. In fact, he goes through this whole thing and look what he says over and over and over. Yet you did not return to me. Yet you did not return. You did not return to me. You did not return. He said, I gave you warning after warning after warning after warning. I gave you the Nazarites. You remember the Nazarites? Nazarites were people in Israel who were specially dedicated to God from birth. And they would never cut their hair, and they would never drink alcohol, and they would never touch dead bodies, and they were specially consecrated to God through their whole lives. You know what Israel did to those guys? Instead of seeing them and going, you know... I need need to straighten myself out. Instead of that, they tried to get the Nazarites to drink. Really? Yeah. If we can just get them to do the things we're doing. Get them to do what we're doing, we won't feel bad when we're around them. Right? These people had no regard for God. They had no heart for God. And he's done with them. I want you to read with me. And we're going to go through several, uh, several passages here. He says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. You're the only one I've known out of all the families of the earth. Do you remember when they made this covenant? Do you remember when God said, I swore a vow to you and you became mine? God says to them this, The time has come. You stood at the base of the mountain and you swore you would obey me and I would be your God and you would be my people. And you've not done that. You've gone after other gods. You've become immoral. You've become a humiliation to me in the world. I'm embarrassed and ashamed that you're my people. And he said, there's going to be special punishment to you because you're my people. And you've turned away. You know, I, I had four children. I raised my four children. Uh, all of them at times got in trouble. But you know, of all the times I've been around my kids and giving them their spankings or whatever they got, you know, make them stay in timeout, I've been around lots of other kids too. Did you know never one time have I grabbed up somebody else's kid and given them a whipping? (laughs) I've never done that yet. (laughs) I've never done that. Why? Because it's not my kids. What they do doesn't reflect on me. I'm not responsible the same way for them as I am for my kids. And what God is saying here is, you're my kid. You're mine And you've done all of this, and I've repeated, I've begged you to repent. I've called you to come back to me. I've warned you, I've given you punishments. And you just absolutely stiffen your neck and will not do it. And as a result, here is what's going to happen for you in your relationship to me an adversary shall surround the land. And bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. He said, You think things are good now? You think you're powerful? He said, I'm gonna bring an adversary, and this adversary is going to surround you, and they're gonna bring all your defenses down. Your missile systems aren't gonna work anymore, and you're not gonna be able to protect yourself. Your strongholds, they're gonna mean nothing. You're not gonna be able to protect yourself anymore. He says, on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house. The houses of ivory shall perish. The great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. He says, you can't run to your summer house because I'm going to destroy it. You can't run to your winter house. I'm going to destroy it. It doesn't matter what you have or where you go. I'm going to destroy it. And he said, your temple, you run to your temple, I'm going to destroy the altar and cut off the horns, which was the holiest part of the altar. So I'm going to destroy it all. You'll have no hope. You'll have no place, no refuge, nowhere to run. And there won't even be any help for you in your religion. He said, the days are coming... Upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. He said, I want you to get this picture. It's like they're going to come and they're going to hook you with hooks and drag you away. Can you imagine? You ever got a fish hook stuck in you? Can you imagine Christy being drugged with hooks? It would be horrible. He says, fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. He says, not only fallen are you, but you're fallen to never rise again. I abhor the pride of Jacob. I hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in you. I will raise up against you a national house of Israel, declared the Lord God of hosts, and they shall oppress you. He said, there's coming a nation. I'm going to raise one up. They didn't know who it was yet. It was Assyria. And Assyria is going to wipe them out. he says, I'm going to raise them up and they're going to oppress you. Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city. Your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. And you yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile. He says, I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to destroy your family. Your kids, they're going to be slaves or they're going to be killed. Your wife is going to be made to be a prostitute. He said, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. I mean, God is being being vicious here, isn't He? I mean, he's saying, I'm not going to cut you any slack for the wickedness that you've done. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, now I want you to listen to this one. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. He said, you're going to have a famine, but it's not just going to be a famine of food. There's not going to be anywhere you can go to hear the word of the Lord. It's just not going to be spoken. People aren't going to teach the word of the Lord in Israel anymore. It's going to be destroyed. Can you imagine? You know, sometimes I get emails from people who are traveling And they say, hey, we're going to be in Chicago next weekend. Can you tell us where the closest church is going to be up there? Or we're going to Miami. Can you tell us where a church is going to be? Or we're going wherever, all these different places. Can you imagine if the answer always had to be, there's not one. There's nowhere. There's nowhere you can go. You can't go to church anywhere because the Word of the Lord isn't being spoken anywhere, anymore. Not in this land. And then he says this, strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them, I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. He says, this is going to be a dreadful, dreadful punishment. So how does this story end? What happens? Well, the way this story specifically ends is this. The nation of Assyria, which was up here. You remember Nineveh, the capital of Assyria? They begin to be powerful and they spread their power and they come and they capture all of this area and look right there. Right there is where Israel is. And they go in and they capture Israel. They surround them. Now, they don't capture Judah. They lay siege to Judah, but they fail to capture Judah. Judah's going to exist for a few more years. But Israel? Mm -mm. They're done. They go in and they capture them. They are vicious, vicious people. They slaughter millions of people. They kill thousands and thousands. They do terrible things to them. And then the ones that are left, they take them and they export them. And they take them from here and they spread them out all over their empire and just scatter them all out. The reason they did this is because if they're all scattered out, they can't get together and revolt. So they scattered them all out. And they brought, brought people from all these other places they captured and put them there around Israel. And they just mixed all the people up. It was a, this melting pot. And there was no purity of religion anymore. All these people from all these other places, they had all their other religions... They didn't know God. They didn't serve God. So what little was left was just mixed up and destroyed and that was the end of it. 722 B.C. Israel is conquered and deported by the Assyrian kings Tiglath-Pileser and Shalmaneser V. And they were destroyed and they never to this day, to 2022 and November whatever today is, they've never existed as a nation again. They're gone. God wiped them out. They never existed again. In the New Testament, these people, when you read about them, they're the Samaritans. And they get that name because of the new capital city they had chosen, which was Samaria, when they became a new independent nation. And in the New Testament, the Samaritans were these people, the ones who were left, the mixed breed, scattered folks. Now, in all of this, you might say, well, this is a pretty bad message, isn't it? It's a pretty ugly message. In the middle of all of this, As wicked as Israel was and as done as God was with them. In the middle of all this, there was still mercy. Mercy that would triumph over judgment. I want you to read this. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom. And I will destroy it from the surface of the ground. This is in chapter 9. Except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. He said, I'm not going to utterly destroy it. He said, I'm going to burn it to the ground. But there is a remnant. There's always a remnant. There's always a few faithful people. And in the middle of all of this, God calls these people to repentance. He said, come to me. Come to righteousness. Come to goodness. Come to me and you can live. And the message is this. I'm going to wipe this nation out. I'm going to destroy it all. But you... Personally, you don't have to die with everyone else. You don't. You can come to God. And you can be right with Him. And you can be one of His chosen. You see, God's eternal promise was this. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise its ruins and rebuild the city and rebuild it as in the days of old. He said, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to wipe it out. It's not going to exist anymore. However, there will be a remnant, and I will take that remnant, and I will bring it back. And then, when it's brought back, it's not going to be like this nation. It's going to be different. And all of the prophets prophesied of this time that this kingdom of David would be established. Now, you and I know from reading the rest of the Bible we know that that kingdom was established through Jesus Christ, don't we? Amen? Amen. It was established through Jesus. He brought these people back. So the message of Amos for us, what can we get out of this? I mean, this is quite a story of God's frustration and God's destruction on this nation. I've got a few messages for us. Number one, God hates it when the wealthy abuse the poor. You might go, well... I'm not wealthy. Listen, every one of us, I've been to Nigeria. Yancey's seen it in Nigeria. Compared to much of the world, everyone in this room is filthy, stinking rich. Compared to the world, we've got a lot. And even if you don't have as much as a lot of other people around you, there's people that got less than you. You can help, you can care, you can have compassion. You cannot look with hateful judgment on people who have had bad circumstances in their life. We could all lose everything we have just like that. It's happened many times and many places throughout history. Be compassionate and care. Don't take advantage. The Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. Love other people the way you would want to be loved and be cared for. Number two, God hates immorality. Do not think you can get away with it. Do not think it's okay. Do not think that just because God doesn't strike you down tonight, that He's looking the other way at your immorality. This should never once be named among the saints. Christians need to live different. It's all watered down in America. And people who embrace any kind of immorality still go to church and still say, Praise God! Jesus loves me! And everything's good! And the truth is, God's just not going to tolerate that. Message number three. God despises fake worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. It doesn't cut it with God just to show up at church. God hates it if your worship is fake. If your worship is fake, if it's not genuine from your heart, seeking God and praising and adoring Him and lifting Him up. Because He looks at your heart. He doesn't look at the outward trappings. He doesn't look at how good the song sounds. He doesn't look at how long the prayer is. He looks at your heart. Are you here because you love God and you want to worship Him? Or are you here because, well, it's our duty, we always got to go, and, you know, we better do that. Why are you here? Why are you worshiping? God hates. He despises false worship. Make sure your worship is genuine. Number four, when Satan owns you, he will use you against other people. You know, when Israel belonged to Satan and the Nazarites who had made this vow were trying to live their lives in faithfulness to God, these people of Israel were trying to get them to do what was wrong. You've seen it. You've seen experiences like this where people want you to do the wrong with them that they're doing. God will use you. If you let Satan get hold of you, He will use you to corrupt other people. And you know who that's usually going to be? It's usually going to be the people you love the most. Because they're the people you have the greatest influence on. The people you're closest to. You cannot let yourself be overtaken by Satan. It'll it'll take your kids. If you let Satan overtake you... It'll get your kids and God will use you to do it. Or not God, Satan. He's not satisfied for you to go to hell by yourself. He wants to take all your kids to hell. And He wants your wife to go to hell or your husband to go to hell. He wants your friends to go to hell. And He will use you against them. Next, God always preserves a remnant. We look around we bemoan how America's going and what's happening in America and how I can't believe how these schools are nowadays and I can't believe this immorality and I can't believe people vote for that. And we talk about how bad it is and and I'm not saying it's good, but I'm going to tell you something. There's godly people. There's always been godly people. There's always a remnant. God will always preserve for Himself a people who love Him, a people who are devoted to Him, And the rest of the world may turn against God, but there will be a remnant. And the last message I have for this is you're never too far gone to be a part of that remnant. No matter what's happened in your life, no matter where you've been, no matter how far away your heart has been from God, you're never too far away while you're right now, while you're here to say it stops today. Now, here's the truth of the matter. The Bible says that people's hearts get hard by sin. Sin hardens people's hearts. And as you allow sin into your life, your heart will get harder. And I want to warn you today, don't be like the people who turned away from the warnings of God. Because the time will come, if you do, if you keep pushing God away, the time will come that your heart will be too hard and you won't hear Him. You won't be convicted by His message. It won't touch your heart. It won't make you sit and seriously consider your life before God. You don't want to wait. If you can hear God, then it's not too late. If you can hear God and you're touched in your heart, you can say it stops today. And I'm gonna walk with God and I'm gonna be part of His remnant. And if the whole world burns around me, I will be left standing on the solid rock because I am with God and I'm turning it around today. And I'm not gonna live my spiritual life with God at arm's length. I'm not gonna live my spiritual life by just doing some duties, but I'm seriously gonna pursue God with all that I am and all that I have while my heart is still soft enough to be molded and touched by God. That's my message for you today. I believe that's the message of Amos for us today. Make sure you're right with God. Don't allow immorality in your life. Don't be harsh, but be compassionate and love those around you. Don't take advantage of anyone Be sincere and genuine in your worship and be one who pursues God with all of your heart. And you know, the way this story really ends is in Jesus. When those who were in the remnant were around when Jesus came and brought salvation to God and His people. I hope you've been encouraged. If there's a spiritual need you have, we encourage you to bring that before the church. If you're watching on Facebook or some other way today, I encourage you to get your life right with God. Talk to someone who can help you be right with God. If you need to make a public commitment or some kind of change in your life, we do sing a song of invitation if you'll come to the front and make that need known while we stand and sing.